0: Hey guys, welcome to the Filming with Josh podcast. I'm your host, Joshua Milligan, and this is episode number 69, the worst client I ever had. This is the Filming with Josh podcast, brought to you by Rustic River Media. Welcome to the videographer's home for tips, tricks, and how to make flicks. Thanks guys for tuning in to another episode of the Filming with Josh podcast. If you are new to the podcast, Filming with Josh is your home for tips, tricks and how to make flicks. On this podcast, we talk about everything from filming to editing, to storyboarding, script writing and the business that goes with it. We also have a Facebook group called Filming with Josh that's full of members that talk about all things video so Be sure to go to Facebook, join the Filming with Josh Facebook group, and join our community and all of our discussions. Today is episode number 69, and the topic is the worst client I ever had. This ought to be a fun podcast. It wasn't fun whenever I was living through this, but (laughs) it ought to be a fun listen to those of you out there who don't know this story and really... There's probably only a few of you who do. So this is going to take you back to the spring of 2016 here in Texas with the worst client I have ever worked with. Now I wanna start by saying I have had a lot of wonderful clients. I currently have a lot of wonderful clients. I haven't really had a whole lot of bad ones, but I have had some bad ones and this particular client who i will not name at all in this episode for obvious reasons but this particular client was by far the worst and the experience i had with this client um, gosh still haunts me today haunts me not so much from a it pains me standpoint but more from a i don't understand standpoint because and and you'll 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 kind of understand this as we go through the podcast but I There's just things that he did that honestly make me scratch my head. Things that honestly just don't make a whole lot of sense. (laughs) And this particular individual was pretty much the nail in the coffin for the outdoor television industry for me and is one of the primary factors that led me to finally leave that particular industry. So for those of you who are in the outdoor industry or who are interested in it, who are listening to the podcast today um, and are curious about why I no longer work in the outdoor industry, there's several reasons. Some some of it's financial. Some of it is uh, creative components. Um, but one of the biggest reasons I left the outdoor industry was because I had... Um, some wonderful experiences, but I also had worked with some particular hosts that weren't so wonderful, and this guy was like the final nail in the coffin of making me want to just say, you know what, I can't work with people like this. So without further ado, let's get into the story. So it is the spring of 2016, and it's still kind of cool out here in Texas, but it's starting to get a little bit warmer during the days. I think it was around, in fact, I know it was, it was around Easter when I had booked this particular project. But I'm going to back up just a little bit to explain kind of how I got here. When I first started doing work in the outdoor industry, and for those of you, we have we have listeners all around the world. So for those of you who are listening to this podcast who don't know what the outdoor industry is, the outdoor industry is uh, the hunting, fishing, camping industries, like anything that has to do... With hunting and fishing and camping and outdoor stuff like that's the outdoor industry. Not not so much like rock climbing or skiing or anything, but when you hear people talk about the outdoor industry, they're mainly talking about like hunting and fishing and and stuff like that. So that's the outdoor industry, and the outdoor industry has three different mainstream television networks that air nationally on uh, different cable providers. Those networks are the Outdoor Channel, the Sportsman Channel, and the Pursuit Channel, and. Back in 2014, I think it was, I started working in the outdoor television space. I had already done projects within the outdoor industry for non-television stuff, but I started getting into the television side of it in 2014, uh, working full time for a hunting show. And I really enjoyed my time there, had a great time, met a lot of great people, and honestly, I had a blast. I uh, I had a lot of really great memories from my time working full-time at that show. I stepped away from that show um, in 2016, really in 2015, I I went from full-time to uh, contract work because I was already running Rustic River Media on the side, and Rustic River Media was really growing in 2015, so I stepped away from my full-time position as an employee, to um, just being a contract worker in 2015 with the same show so that I could still work with the show but have the freedom to continue to go off during the week when I wasn't doing something with the show to go work on other parts of my business because it was really growing. But in 2016, I stepped away from the show entirely, Um, not for any particular reason um, other than I just was growing my business rapidly in a bunch of other directions and wanted to explore other avenues. That's really all there was to it. Because, I, like I said, I had a really good time working for this show. Um, but when I did step away, I knew that I needed to still do some freelance work here and there for outdoor shows just while I continued to grow my client base uh, for Rustic River Media. Because when you step away from a full-time job to go out on your own, you have to Eat what you kill. You know, you got to go out and find clients and and grow your business. And so I knew that while I was growing my business, and my business was more centered around commercial, corporate work, doc projects, stuff like that. So I knew as I continued to grow that part of my business, I would probably need to do some freelance TV work for the hunting and fishing industries so that I could have some side money to come in while I was continuing to grow my business. Um, so as, as such, I went to the ATA show, which stands for Archery Trade Association show. I went to the ATA show in uh, early 2016 just to do some networking and to pick up some freelance work while I was, again, still growing Rustic River Media. And it was at ATA when I ran across this particular television show host that I had never met but I knew who he was and I grabbed his arm in passing and I said hey real quick my name is Josh I just want to introduce myself to you and give you my business card Uh, I've worked with these shows in the past and um, I currently am uh, operating Rustic River Media full-time we do all kinds of work um, but I'm still doing contract or freelance work for outdoor shows just wanted to give you my contact info in case you ever needed um, a field producer to help you um, in the future. And for those of you, again, who are listening, who don't know what the word field producer is, that's a word that's thrown around a lot in the outdoor industry. And basically it's a, another name for a DP essentially, um, just f- for lack of better words. But anyway, uh, that guy called me a couple weeks after the ATA show and he said, Hey, I don't know if you remember me, but we met at ATA, you gave me your card. I actually am looking for someone to do a bunch of, um, contract field production work for me um, would you would you still be interested and I said yeah 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 I would be so he asked me how much I told him how much my day rate was he asked me about my equipment and we started talking back and forth and then he said hey you know what I want to pay you to come down to my place a couple different times so we can get to know each other. I can tell you about my show a little bit more about how I like to make my show. Um, I want to get to know you a little bit more as a field producer and let's just kind of see where this thing goes. I was like, all right, cool. So he, he did, he paid me and I came down to his house and, um, we hung out in his uh, office, his home office, and we went through a bunch of episodes he had done recently, and we talked about some of the things he liked and didn't like about it. He asked me what I liked and didn't like. I was honest with him. I gave him some feedback. And um, this particular person had been around for a while, um, but he was just looking for ways to grow his show, to make it um, a little bit better. Um, but also he just needed another guy too because the, his, his previous guy – had uh, quit. And I now kind of understand why he quit. <laughs> but um, anyway, him and I, this this individual and I, we got along really well and had a good time that day. Um, I, I felt really comfortable being around him. He felt pretty comfortable being around me. A lot of the things that we talked about um, were uh, ideas that I had that he had never really thought about. And so we just kind of spitballed some stuff. And he said, Hey, I want to bring you back out in a couple weeks, um, bring some of your gear and let's shoot some sponsor content. Cause uh, again, for those of you listening, you don't know anything about out- outdoor TV. Um, it's a pay for play model where you basically pay for your own airtime and how you cover your cost for airtime and you have to pay for your own production costs. So how you cover your airtime and your production costs is through sponsor deals. Um, And so you try to rack up as many different sponsors from bow companies and uh, gun companies and ammo companies and camo companies, et cetera, to cover your costs essentially. And so we were going to do some content for some of his sponsors on this second trip out to his house. So I did. I got my gear. Um, We picked a day. I came out and we shot a bunch of sponsor content and everything, again, went really well. We had a good time working together. Um, And one of the things, and this is kind of where things start to get interesting. One of the things that he asked me when I was with him during those first two different trips is he wanted to know how it was that I got the low light shots I got without very much noise. And he also wanted to know how it was I was color grading my work. He was really interested in the way my work looked. um, And he was like, man, like, how are you, how are you coloring your stuff? Like, is it something you're doing in your camera? Is it something you're doing in post? Like, you know, would you mind explaining that to me? So I kind of walked him through and I I said, well, first off, in terms of the low light, I said, "I, I shoot everything on either mirrorless cameras or cameras, I had an FS7 at the time, I'll I'll shoot on mirrorless cameras or cameras like the FS7. And see this guy, he was still working with ENG style video cameras that have built in servo zooms. But these cameras have really small sensors, which is actually a benefit because you get huge zoom range out of your um, built in servo zoom glass. Um, But at the flip side, you have terrible low light performance and you typically have a, a much deeper depth of field unless you're like zoomed in really close to something. And so I explained to him, like I'm shooting with cameras that are either full frame or in the F7's case, Super 35. So these have much bigger sensors. So they're collecting a lot more light. And that's how I'm able to get much better low light performance. And he's like, there's no way. Like I, I've, I've tried and, and he, this is, he had a DSLR or had a friend who had a DSLR. and And this is back when mirrorless was, coming on hot and I had mirrorless, but he's had a friend who still had a DSLR camera and he said, you know, we've tried that thing out before and they're horrible in low light. And I said, no, actually they're much better in low light than the cameras you work with. I don't know what you guys were doing, but they are actually in fact much better in low light and physics can back that up because of the larger sensor. And he didn't understand. He had a hard time wrapping his head around it. He's like, man, I, I just don't see how uh, a photo camera... Can have better low light performance than a video camera, and I'm like, it, and I kept trying to explain to him it's because of the it's because of the sensor size. And I even grabbed a camera out of my truck and took the lens off. It's like, look at the sensor here; it's huge. And I said, you know, think about the the sensor size inside these cameras. You know, they're a little bitty. And so he finally got his head kind of around it. And he's like, okay, so that's how you do the low light. You know, you use these larger sensor cameras. But what about what about the coloring? And so I said, well, uh, there are different ways to approach coloring, but I. particularly I like to shoot in log, is what I explained to him. I said, I, I shoot everything in log and I grade uh, everything in post by hand. And he said, is that really complicated? And I said, no, no, it's not complicated. In fact, it's actually really simple if you use technical LUTs provided by the camera manufacturers. So for instance, Sony, if you shoot an S-Log3, Sony has a REC seven hundred nine LUT designed for S-Log3, S-Gamut 3.cine footage. And so you just apply this LUT it's called LC709 I said, or LC709A technically. And I said, you just apply this LUT over your log footage and boom, it instantly converts it to Rec709. It looks great. There are other LUTs out there, but that's just an example. And I said, you know, if you're shooting with Canon C-Log, Canon provides um, correction LUTs or technical LUTs for their C-Log footage to... Bring it to Rec 709, so it's actually really simple. And he's like, "Wow, really?" And he said, "So, so if you shoot it in log, like, what does it look like?" And I said, "Well, it it looks kind of black and white. It doesn't really have a lot of color. It's really flat. So the point is, is you shoot it flat in this log profile, and then in post, you add the correction LUT to bring the uh, image essentially to Rec 709. It basically gives it contrast, it gives it saturation, um, and then from there, you can." Take the image in any direction you want creatively, but the idea is you're starting with a flatter image so that you're not baking out anything. You're preserving your highlights. You're preserving shadow detail, and you have the decision in post in how you want to alter that. And he's like, "Man, that's really fascinating." And he said, "I'll tell you what. We have a I have a shoot coming up. It's f- it's for a show. It's it's, it's going to be one of our episodes, and it's going to be a h- hog hunt in South." West Texas, and it's going to be for four days, three all-nighters in a row, and the final day is going to be Easter Sunday. And he said, so essentially, if you're willing to work on Easter weekend, you know, I want to bring you out for this shoot and we'll make this our first show together, our first episode together. And, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll be hunting pigs all night long, three all-nighters in a row. We'll get a little bit of sleep during the day, um, and but we'll also have to shoot content during the day. So it's going to be, uh, you know, not a whole lot of sleep for the next, you know, for those for those four days, but it'll be a really good time. We sh- it should be a great episode. And... I said, yeah, you know, I I would, I I would totally be interested to do it. And I said, let me talk to my girlfriend, girlfriend, my wife and I weren't engaged yet. I said, let me talk to my girlfriend, make sure she's comfortable with me not being around on Easter. But other than that, I don't think it'd be a problem. And he said, okay, he said, well, you know, if you can do this, uh, I would like to shoot everything in in log. And and if you don't mind, maybe you can show me how to correct the log footage with the, with these lots you're telling me about. And I said, all right, yeah, that's no problem. I can, I can show you how to do that. No big deal. He's all right, great. So (laughs) um, I I speak to my now wife, but then girlfriend uh, about I spoke to her about the the project. She said, Hey, you know what? My family's gonna be town for Easter. I'll spend it with them. You know, this sounds like a cool opportunity. Why don't you go do it? And this particular guy and I, we had already started talking about other trips. Like he had a thirty day trip coming up to Africa he wanted to book me for. And so this shoot was kind of like a trial run for that. We were gonna see how we got along working together. Because the thing about it is is like when you work in with someone in the outdoor industry like a tv host in the outdoor industry you're usually traveling a lot with them you're spending a lot of time in camp with them there's just a lot of time together so you guys got to get along you got to have a good vibe you got to kind of kind of understand each other um, otherwise it could make for a miserable trip so this is going to be our chance to see how we work together when we kind of done two days at his house but but a show is different you know there's 21 and a half or 22 minutes, depending on what network you're on of content, we have to capture in a four day window at time. And so there's a lot of shooting, a lot of, um, different planning going on during the, during the shoot about how we're going to break each segment up and all this stuff. So there's a lot of pressure there to get everything in a very short amount of time. So that's when you really start to see how your personalities jive is, is on a shoot like that. So we decided this will be our trial run. So I, uh, I had my FS7, and I had an A7S 2 and an A7S Gen 1. Those are the cameras I own. And I got my gear together, and I split off down to Southwest Texas and uh, met up with him to do this shoot. And when I got there, uh, things felt strange right out of the gate. I think one of the things that made it feel strange was the fact that this particular show episode was going to be shot on a private hunting property that was owned by a company that he wanted to be sponsored by. So this company was not yet sponsoring his show, but he wanted to get them to sponsor his show. And so he said, hey, you know, why don't we get together? We'll do an episode. I'll showcase a bunch of your products in the episode and... Um, if you like it, you know, maybe you guys can consider sponsoring our show. So like, yeah, come on out. And the products were um, like feeder lights and um, they were uh, things to do with hunting essentially pigs at night, which is what essentially we were going to do. And he wanted to hunt pigs at night primarily with a bow. So we were going to hunt these pigs with a bow and we were going to Recover them and everything at night. And then we were going to shoot content about the property and about the products during the day. That was kind of the plan. But when he was around the sponsors or, or not the sponsors, but the individuals that he was wanting to sponsor him, he acted completely different than he did to me when we were together in person at his, at his house. He was not treating me the same. He was kind of talking down to me. He just wasn't treating me like he was when we were together privately. It was almost like he was trying to show off in front of these guys, like I'm the boss kind of thing. And so right away, things just felt really weird, but I tried to brush it off. I was like, whatever. It is what it is. I don't care. I'm here to do a job type of thing. But then things start to get really interesting. One of the First things that happened was on on day two, so we made it through the first day, we filmed footage at night, we got a kill on camera the very first night, we spot and stalked a pig, shot it on the FS7, and uh, recovered it and everything else, and then we got a little bit of sleep, and then the next day we got up and we went outside and we started shooting some segments for the show. We started shooting some content about some of these products. We also shot some scenes of him shooting his bow and talking about... um, where we were and what we were doing that kind of thing so just getting some content for the show and he asked me he said hey we can we review some of the footage we just shot Um, and i said yeah you want me to go get my laptop he's like no we can just watch it back on your camera and i said okay i said well just so you know the way the fs7 works is um you can view the log footage with color when you are filming but on the fs7 when you play back the footage the lut is not applied so you cannot view the footage with color, essentially whenever you are playing it back. And he's like, okay. And I said, the reason why I'm telling you this is so that you understand that the footage is going to look flat. It's gonna look like log footage, so keep that in mind. And he's like, yeah, no big deal. So then we looked at it, and he got real quiet for a second, And then he lost his crap. He started screaming at me, cussing at me. He's like, you ruined everything. There's no color. It's black and white. You ruined everything. I said, dude, I literally just told you that you're viewing log footage. We had a whole conversation about this just a second ago. And we talked about this when we were at... At your house like you told me you wanted me to shoot in log he said that's not log that's black and white and i said no dude this is log i told you that log is flat it doesn't have color you have to bring it in yourself he's like you can't color that it has no color it's ruined that means everything we did last night everything we've done today is completely ruined you've ruined everything and i was like dude i have ruined nothing and by the way mind you he's doing this in front of his clients. Or not clients, but who he's hoping to be his clients, his sponsors, essentially. And so he's like screaming at me in front of them, making me look like I like ruined his show. And I kept trying to tell him, I'm like, dude, I told you multiple times that this is what Log is like. You're the one who asked me to shoot in Log. You asked me to do it. And I said, and trust me, you can color it. And he's like, then prove it. And I said, all right, no problem. Let's go get the laptop. I'll show you. So we went and got my laptop. We went in the living room and I I pulled up my laptop. And I use a program called Sony Catalyst Browse. If you don't know what Sony Catalyst Browse is, and now I have Prepare, but back then I used Browse. And Catalyst Browse is essentially a a program that allows you to um, playback footage, review footage, mark footage, um, for for your editor allows you to um, stabilize footage if you've shot with um, some of Sony's newer cameras that have gyro sensor data stabilization info, um, things like that. But I use it primarily as a previewer because when you preview footage in Sony Catalyst Browse, it automatically can detect the picture profile and can automatically apply the correct LUT. So it's smart enough to know okay, this was shot in S-Log3S Gamut 3.Cine, let's apply the LC-709A LUT. So you're viewing everything back colored, essentially. So I pull up the footage that he just cussed me out about, and we played it back on a laptop, and it looked gorgeous. It was beautiful because the LUT's being applied in Catalyst Browse. And it, it was exactly what you expect from log footage, which is much better dynamic range than you would ever get in rec 709 i mean you could see it because the the scenes of him sighting in his bow or or trying his bow out in his backyard making sure the sights were good that was shot at like 12 o'clock in the afternoon you know terrible time to shoot um and he was standing under a tree in the shade when he did it but yet because we're shooting in log uh, there's all the shadow information of him in in the the in the shade, but then the highlights were not blown out in the background because again we're shooting in log, which is exactly what you want from log to get increased dynamic range and more control of your image. So we watched it back in the Files are freaking gorgeous and are way better than anything he's ever got on his small chip video cameras. And I know he knows that because when he watches it back, he's really quiet. He's not saying anything, and then he just gets up and he walks off. He never apologized. He never admitted he was wrong. He looked at it. He knew I was right, and he knew it looked good. He couldn't be mad at me anymore, but he didn't want to admit he was wrong, so he just got him walked off. And I'm like, geez, man, this guy is something else. Like, what's going on here? But I wasn't gonna like leave the shooter or anything over that because you know, this is only day two and I committed to doing it. So I'm going to, you know, I'm going to see the shoot through. Um, but I was, I was pretty frustrated at this point, as you can imagine. And let me just tell you, it only goes way downhill from here. So (laughs) we get through that whole debacle and we start filming other parts of the show and he's like, not, really speaking to me at this point. He's really frustrated for some reason. And I don't understand why I've done everything I'm supposed to do at this point. The footage is great. Everything that we've done so far looks and sounds great, but he's just not talking to me. And so we go out, we're continuing with the project. It's really hard to work with him because he's barely speaking to me, but we're, we're doing our best to push through. But as you can imagine, because he's not really talking to me, we're not getting a whole lot of content. Like I would ask him like, hey, shouldn't we shoot this? And he'd be like, whatever. And we'd go shoot it. But he just wasn't really talking to me. It was almost like he's bipolar or something. I don't know. Maybe he is. But it was really, really weird. And so we get through some more shooting and we get to a nighttime scene. It's the second night and we're hunting pigs and we get some uh, another kill shot on camera under the feeder lights, the ones that we are there to kind of capture for his hopeful future sponsor and so the next morning this is day three we're viewing back the footage of the kill that night the hog kill under the feeder lights and the footage is great the fs7 is no a7s or fx6 in low light but it was no slouch either like for its time the fs7 was pretty good in low light for for a camera like that and certainly smoked any of the cameras that you know, he had worked with, because his were terrible low light, because they were ENG small chip video cameras. So, you know, by all means, like the footage I captured at night, I thought looked great. He thought it was too dark. And he made a big deal about it. And he was like, you can't, you know, the, the footage is way too dark, it's way too dark. I said, it's not too dark, you can see everything. Like the feeder light comes on. And looks great. You can see the pig and you see the shot. You see the Luminoc hit the pig. You see everything. Uh, And it it looks great. If you don't know what Luminoc is, it's a lighted knock on the end of your arrow. So you can see the arrow when it's shot. And so you can see the knock, go through the air and hit this pig that's lit up under the feeder light. And the footage is awesome looking. And I'm like, I don't understand what, like, what are you upset about? Like, it looks great. And he said, he, he told the, one of the guys that owned the ranch, he said, you film a lot of kill shots under your feeder lights right and he's like yeah he said well show show us some of your footage well they have these little sony handycams that they bought from best buy i mean they're crappy little handycams and he played back the footage and it was horrible it was like super blown out and super noisy or grainy because these little handycams with their tiny little sensors are adding a lot of noise or a lot of iso a lot of um a lot of gain which is creating a lot of noise to try to amplify the dark image at night and so the footage is horribly noisy and grainy and it it does it's not these handicaps aren't smart enough to know how to properly expose that image so they're jacking it way higher than it ever should be anyway which is blowing out the feeder light so you can't even see the product really because the product the feeder light is completely blown out so you can't see the product thanks to it being blown out, and then everything else is just super grainy. But to him, it was nice and bright. And for me, it's a head-scratcher. You know, I I'm, i consider myself, you know, a DP. And even at this point in my career back in 2016, I had worked on some really big projects. Like, I understood the difference between what looks good and what does not look good. And the footage he showed me looked horrible. I mean, it's Best Buy camera footage, right? A little handy cam. And it looked exactly like what you'd expect a handy cam would look like at nighttime. My footage shot in the FS seven was awesome. I mean, you could see the pig, you could see the Luminoc. Everything was crystal clear, hardly any noise. You could see the feeder light and how it how it cast the light and the light wasn't blown out, so you can kind of see the quality of it. And that's kind of what we're here to do, right? Is to get the quality of the light. I mean it looked gorgeous, but in his mind, it did not look bright. So he lit me up over that. it's like, your camera sucks. Your camera's horrible in low light. And I was like, what? you can't be serious. Like, my camera's great in low light, especially compared to the cameras that you guys are using. Like, I don't understand. So like, as you can see, like, this is a guy who's starting to just pop a lot of red flags off. And he's trying to find things to get mad at me about. So it only continues to get worse. So we we make it through viewing back that footage (laughs) and we go to shoot some other content. And one of the things he told me is he said, I want to get a silhouette shot of me in slow motion, walking with my bow, um, at sunset on this hilltop. And I said, all right, well, we can do that. So, we wait till kind of sunset. We go over to set up the camera for this shot and I'm getting my settings dialed in and he walks up behind me and he looks over my shoulder and he looks at my, me dialing in my settings. And he said, why do you have your ND filter turned on? It's, you know, it's, it's about to be sunset. And I said, well, I have my ND filter turned on because I need to 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 darken the image so that I can create the silhouette shot. You know, if the image is extremely bright, it won't be able to create the silhouette. He goes, well, I understand that. I'm not dumb. He goes, but why are you using your ND filter? You should be using your shutter speed. And I was like, my shutter speed? Why would I do that? And I know I want, I'm shooting with 180 degree shutters, so I want my shutter to be twice my frame rate, not... I'm not going to crank my shutter up, especially when my camera has built-in ND filters. He goes, that's not what you need to do. You need to expose your shot with shutter speed. That's how you expose. And I was like, dude, no, it's not. Like, you expose using your aperture and your ND, man. Like, I don't understand what you're talking about. And he, like, lit me up again. He's like, I know what I've been doing. I've been doing... I know what I'm doing. I've been doing video for for 25 years. I know all about video and you need to be cranking up your shutter. And I'm like, dude, that is is actually completely incorrect. I mean, go look it up, (laughs) go inside, go get your computer. But I'm telling you like that is absolutely incorrect. And he threw a fit over it and he was insulted that I told him he was wrong. And so, man, at this point, I'm like, it's everything I have not to walk away. So we get through... The silhouette shot, and we get through the third night. And during the middle of the third night, he's even madder now because now he feels insulted. And we're sitting in a uh, in these ladder stands, and it's like 2 in the morning, and I think it was a full moon. I could see pretty well, kind of situation where the moonlight's pretty good. And we're sitting there quietly, just waiting on some pigs to come in, feeders come off. We're just sitting there. An hour, an hour after hour after hour has gone by, and it's now two in the morning. And we've just been sitting there for hours, and nothing has come in. But he completely just makes up the craziest story. He kicks me in like this my side because the way we were positioned, he was a little higher than me. Um, He wanted me in the lower stand for some reason, which is actually backwards. I should have been in the higher stand and he should have been below me so I could get a shot of him drawing his bow back, but he didn't want that. He he was he was wanting to be above me. So he was kind of sitting a little higher of me, which is completely backwards from what it should be. But again, this is what he wanted. And he, so he kind of kicks me with his foot. And I look at him, I'm like, what, what's up? And he says, you missed it. You were asleep and a pig just came in and blew the whole, you blew the whole thing because you were asleep and I, I was ready to draw my bow back and, sh- and shoot him and I kept asking you if you were on him but you were asleep and I said, dude, what are you talking about? I've been awake this whole time. Nothing's come in. I said, I've been sitting here looking at, at the clock on my phone. Like, nothing has come in. And he's, and he's like, no, no, a pig came in and you were asleep. And I was like, dude, nothing came in. Like, what are you talking about? I've been awake literally this entire time. And so he makes this whole story up and he gets mad and he texts them and said, Josh just blew our hunt. Come get us. And I'm like, you can't be serious. Like this guy is losing his freaking mind. And so they come and pick us up. And at this point, I'm just wanting to punch somebody. (laughs) As you can imagine, I am like beyond frustrated. So he comes and picks me up or they come and pick us up. I should say, and we get back to the lodge and we wake up the next morning. We, we get some rest. We wake up the next morning. This is our last day. And he is just, I like come in the room and he has just been venting about me to them saying how I'm not getting enough content for the show, how I'm not filming every little tiny thing that we're doing and how I, I don't know anything about video. I clearly have never shot an outdoor TV show before. I don't know how to tell a story. And I walk in while he's saying all this stuff. And I'm like, dude. What are you talking about? Like I've done everything you've asked me to do, and I have tried talking to you about getting shots for segments, but you've been not talking to me. Like you, you, you're barely speaking to me. That's the reason we don't have enough content for the show right now, is because you're not cooperating with me. You've been mad at me since we've gotten here. He said, That's not true. You just don't know how to produce a show. And I said, What are you talking about, dude? I've been producing shows for several years. I've got A bunch of episodes I've shot and edited that are airing right now. Like, I do know what I'm doing, and I've been asking you to do stuff, but you are not cooperating because you've been mad at me since we got here for some unknown reason. And he said, no, 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 you just don't know what you're doing. You should be filming everything we're doing and saying literally the entire day. Your camera should never stop rolling. And I was like, what are you talking about? Why would you do that? We should be talking about what each segment should have in it, and we should be creating creating segments not just filming a bunch of random stuff the whole point of me being here is to direct you and to Like produce the show in the field. So whenever I'm talking to you or trying to talk to you, it's because I'm trying to create the content and talk about what content we should have for each segment. I'm not going to just film every little tiny thing that happens all day long so you have hours and hours and hours and hours of useless footage to go through. We're going to shoot content that we know is going to make it, and we're going to shoot stuff that has a purpose. And I'm trying to talk to you about what that content should be, but you're not talking back to me. And he's like, whatever you you just don't know what you're doing. Just pack up your stuff and go home. And I was like, all right, fine. You got it. I'm I'm out of here. So I packed up my stuff. And he had, in a contract I have, I don't do this anymore, especially in my business now. But back then, certain show hosts I worked with, like this particular individual, they would have contracts that stated that you had no ownership of any of the raw content you shot. And that's fine. I was a contractor for him. He was for his show he wants to own the rights, the footage for this. Cool. I don't care. But the thing that got me was I couldn't keep a copy of it. So I had to give him duplicate copies of drives. He gave me two drives and I was dumping footage back to that every night. So I had to give him those two copies of those drives. Well, the downside of that is, I mean, I I obviously am not keeping the rights to any of that stuff, but without a copy, I have no proof of anything. You guys could probably start to see where I'm going with this. So when I left, I didn't have any of the footage I shot on me. Only he did on his two duplicate hard drives. And I had been dumping to those drives every night. I had been watching everything back every night, going through everything, checking the, the downloads or the transfers to make sure that everything transferred correctly and watched it back after it transferred. So like I knew all the content was there. I knew what it looked like. I knew what it sounded like. I knew that everything was the way it was supposed to be. So when I left... I, in my back of my head, was thinking, thank God this trip is over with. I'm never going to talk to this guy again. Well, unfortunately, when I got home, about two or three days later, I get a text message from him telling me to call him immediately. (sighs) So I did. And here's the thing, and again, I don't do this in my business today. In my business today... You pay a 50% deposit up front, and some clients, I even some projects, I charge 60% up front because there's a lot of overhead cost. Um, but 50 to 60% up front, and then the remaining balance is paid after the project has been completed, and then I give them the final product. And that's how I work with my clients today. All my clients are happy to do that. You know, I usually show them the product. They say it looks great. They approve it. And then they cut me a check. And then once I get paid, I I hand it over. But back then, that's not how I did things. And so I did it the way that most people in the outdoor industry did it with their contractors, which is um, 50% up front, which some of them don't even do that. Some of them don't do any money up front. Some of them just pay you when it's over with. But he did. He gave me 50% up front to book me, but I, he did. I wasn't going to get the other 50% until of several weeks after the shoot was over with when his um, secretary mailed me a check, secretary, which was his wife. Well, anyway, I I got a text from him that said, call me immediately. And remember, I haven't been paid my other half of my money yet. So I'm already thinking, oh, gosh. What's going to happen now? Is he going to try to get out of the money? And sure enough, I was right. I called him, and he starts cussing me out on the phone like nothing you've ever seen before, telling me I had ruined the show. Everything was ruined. It was all just a big waste of time. And he was going to let everybody in the industry know how horrible I was and how disappointed he was about working with me, that he should have known better, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, dude, what are you talking about? And I was like, if you, if this is about the log footage, I already showed you that 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 what, what I did is correct. He said, no, it's not about the raw footage. And I said, well, then what's it about? And he said, the problem is, is that there's no audio on the recoveries the recovery of any of the pigs we killed. And I said, yeah, there is. I listened to all of it while I was recording it, and I watched it all back when I transferred the files, so I know for a fact it was there. And he said, don't you get smart with me. It's not there, and I'm looking at it right now on both drives. And I'm like, dude... It's there. I know for a fact it was there. He goes, No, it's not there. There is no audio. And I said, How is that possible? And why would it not be on anything but the recoveries? He goes, I don't know. You tell me, but all I know is it's not there and I'm not paying you. And I said, Look, dude, you're going to have to send me one of those two drives, not a copy, but one of those original drives that I dumped the files to. Send me one of those drives and let me see for myself. And he's like, I don't want to do that. I'm not going to do that. And I said, Well, look, if you don't send me one of those drives and let me see for myself that there's no audio there, then you better pay me. Otherwise I'm going to take you to small claims court and I'm going to get my money back. And he says, fine, I'll send you one of the drives. So he sends me one of the drives. And and during this whole entire time, I'm thinking to myself, like, why would he not be, why would he not be hearing any audio? It didn't make any sense to me. And so then when the drive came in, I unpackaged it. I walked in my office. I plugged it in the computer. I pulled up the files. I went straight to the pig recoveries at night and all the audio was there. (laughs) So I called him. I said, hey, I have no idea what you're talking about or what your problem is, but I'm watching back the footage right here and there's audio on literally every one of the recoveries. So you need to pay me my money. He goes, no, there's not. And I said, yes, there is. I'm watching it back right now. And he goes, prove it. I said, how do you want me to prove it? And he said, Um, upload one of the recoveries to YouTube. I said, all right, I can do that. So I uploaded it to unlisted YouTube um, uh, link and, and sent that over to him. And he watched it back and he goes, what kind of magic did you do to recover it? And I said, I didn't do any magic. It was there the whole time. Like, I don't know what you're talking about or why you're not seeing any of the audio, but it was there. It's there in Catalyst Browse. It's there in and just the uh, previewer on my Mac. And it's there in Premiere. Like it's there. And he goes, "That that doesn't make sense. You must have done something to recover it because I I have a brand new computer and I just switched to Premiere this week. And I now I start to understand in the back of my head what's going on. I said, "Switch to Premiere. I said, "Switch to Premiere from what?". And he said, "From Final Cut. And I said, "So have you ever worked in Premiere before?". He said, "No. And I said, "In what kind of computer?" did you get? And he said, I just bought a a brand new iMac. And I said, which iMac did you get? And he explained it to me. And it's literally the same iMac I have. And I said, look, man, I have the same computer and the same exact program. And I'm watching the files back. I've done nothing to them, but drop them straight in Premiere and I'm watching them back. So clearly you have something set up wrong on either your computer or more likely on your Premiere uh, project file or, or the timeline. He goes, don't insult me. I've been doing this. And he brought this up again. I've been doing this for over 25 years. I know exactly what I'm doing. Don't insult me. I know a lot more than you. And I'm like, no, clearly you don't because you would see the the audio files. Like you're not seeing the files because you're doing something wrong. And he goes, that's not true. You shot this in a format that only your particular computer can read. And I'm like, "That that doesn't make any sense. I have the same computer. And I was like, you clearly are just ignorant no offense, but you're ignorant to Premiere and you obviously are, are setting something up wrong where you're n- you must not be dragging all the audio channels on the timeline. And then it all of a sudden hit me and while I'm on the phone with him and I realized what's happening and I said, dude, you know what? Now I know what's going on. And he said, what's that? And I said, here's what it is, dude. You're only dragging on channel one's audio. I said, look, the FS7 can record up to four channels. And I was recording a shotgun mic on channel one and I was recording a wireless lav, which was your audio, on channel two, which I had plugged in XLR two, And I was not using channels three or four. So there should be two tracks of audio, channel one and channel two. All the recoveries happened at night. And I said, and if you remember, at nighttime, I took the shotgun mic off the camera during the recoveries, because we were put, you wanted me to put a camera light on top of my camera. You asked me to do that, and when I put a camera light on top of my camera, the light was hitting my, uh, the the light coming you know, projecting out was hitting my shotgun mic and creating a shadow. So to remove the shadow from the footage, I took the shotgun mic off the camera. So now there's just a light and there's no shadow being created. And so as such, there's no longer any audio in channel one. The only audio during the recoveries would be in channel two, which is your lav mic, but that's the only audio you needed for the recoveries anyway. So that's the correct audio. You must only be dragging channel one onto your timeline. And that is why when you are watching the recovery, it appears as if there's no audio. It's because you're only viewing channel one. You're not viewing channel two. That means on all the other footage you've watched, you've also only been listening to channel one's audio or shotgun mic audio. That means you've never once ever even listened to any of the live audio because you've only ever been listening to channel one the whole entire time. I said, if you could, if you change your project settings to allow for a second track to be enabled, then you'll see all the audio. And he said that's he he totally disagreed with me. He said that's impossible. It would automatically drag onto the timeline. And I said, actually, you can create a timeline or set it up to where, on accident, to where where it doesn't automatically drag on. And that clearly is what's happening because when I drag it onto my timeline, I have all the channels including one and two, and that's why it's all there. And he goes, well, either way, you need to fix it. And I said, what do you mean, fix it? There's nothing to fix. You just, you're the one who's gonna have to learn how to use Premiere. And he's like, don't insult me. He got mad at me again. And I said, look, it's true. Like, if you don't know how to use Premiere then there's nothing I can do for you. He goes, no, there is something you can do for me. You can transcode all the footage to ProRes and then mail it back to me. And I said, look, dude, I'm not doing that. If I transfer all four days of content to ProRes or transcode it to ProRes, then it's going to tie my computer up For pretty much the entire day. And I'm not getting paid for that. So I'm not going to waste my time or waste my day by transcoding everything to ProRes for you when there's nothing wrong with the files I gave you. If you want them in ProRes, you can transcode them there yourself or you can learn how to use Premiere. And he said, if you don't do it, I'm not paying you. And I said, we'll see about that. So I got off the phone and I called my attorney and I said, what do I do? And my attorney and I talked about it and he said, look, if I were you, I would just transcode the files send it back to him have him pay you and then move on he said you have a winnable case right now you don't have to transcode anything he does owe you the money but if i were you i would save yourself the headache of taking a small claims court just transcode it give it to him give him what he wants Get paid and let's move away from this guy. I said, "All right, fine." So begrudgingly, I did transcode it to ProRes and I mailed it to him and said, "You better pay me by the end of the week, or I will be taking his small claims court." Well, the very last day of the week, he waited till the very last day, which is that Friday. A check came in the mail, but the check was missing half day pay. Half day pay, and. <laughs> and there was a little note that said, "Here's your final payment, but I deducted half a day's worth of pay for my trouble. Your my trouble of having to figure out how you screwed up the footage and why you got rid of the audio. <laughs> Just like one last little jab, right? So I took that check and I went and cashed it to make sure you know I was going to get the money out of it. And I I sent the message to my attorney and. He said, "Look, we're not going to take him to small claims court over that half day," and he knows that. He knows you're you're not going to take him to small claims court over half day pay. That was just something he knew he could get away with just to goat you one last time. And I was like, "God, this guy is just impossible, just crazy." So I ended up cashing the check and I moved on, and I haven't never spoke to him again. And that happened spring of 2016. So. Six and a half years ago, and that was the one of the last times I ever did any contract work for an outdoor television show. Um, I, I've done a little bit of contract work for a friend of mine for some fishing stuff, just because he's my buddy. Um, and I did a little bit of freelance work for a, a show during um, COVID, just because it was COVID and all my work got put on pause because a lot of my work at that time was medical wise and. They shut off a lot of the medical stuff here temporarily, so I, I did do a little freelance work at that time, but that's pretty much it, and that's, you know, one of the main reasons I left the outdoor industry. I, I left, again, partially because of finances. You, you don't make a whole lot of money in the outdoor industry, especially as a contractor, and the day rates are terrible compared to commercial work. I mean, you can make—I am making five times— my day rate in the commercial world as to what I make in the out what I made in the outdoor space and I'm working almost half the hours. It's crazy. So the pay the pay was really tough. And, and then also, you know, there were some things that gave you creative limitations. So that also was a challenge for me. But one of the biggest things was some of the hosts I worked with. And this guy was the worst. And he was the final one for me that I was just like, dude, I, I just can't deal with this. And so I left. I will say the show I worked with full time, um, I, I did have a really good time at that show. There were, you know, it had its, it had its challenges. There were some things that, um, I disagreed with, but I enjoyed the ho- that host of that show and, in, and my time there. But I have also f- freelanced and worked with some some pretty poor TV host, and and this one was the worst of all of them. And uh, I, I just God, what a terrible, horrible experience! And I'll never forget. I was I was with my wife the day that he uh, called me and said he wasn't going to pay me. And when we got off the phone. This was before he mailed me the drive. I remember I had never like blown up in front of my wife before, but uh, and because we were just dating at the time. But I remember I got the phone and I slammed my, I threw my phone against the windshield of my truck because I was just so ticked off, man. But whenever, um, whenever I mailed him his hard drive, I actually put a little note in in the uh, package that had a Bible verse in it because <laughs> I felt like he needed Jesus. <laughs> It was a, it was a crazy experience. Someone asked me one time if I thought he was bipolar and maybe, I don't know. I don't know if he is or not. And I'm not going to say he is. I don't know that. And I'm not going to put put that on someone and, and, and try to diagnose someone. <laughs> but um, I will say that his actions were bipolar ish in the fact that he was a completely different person. Um, when, when we went on that hunt, he was not the same person that I, I went over whose house I went to. And for him to be mad at these different things just made absolutely zero sense. But I knew after that, after some of the unethical stuff I'd already seen in the outdoor industry and some of the challenges I faced with some other hosts, things that just don't make sense, like illegally shooting animals or unethically shooting animals you probably shouldn't be shooting, even if it is. Um, is technically legal. Just some of the things that I saw go on in the industry that already made me kind of not like it, but then to have a guy like this treat me that way, I was just like, dude, I don't want nothing to do with this. So I I was like one of the biggest reasons I stepped away. But anyway, that is uh, the worst client I ever had. Like I said, I've never um I've never heard from him since. Don't ever want to hear from him again, particularly. Um, but it's sad because it could have been a good relationship we could have done. Uh, a lot of work together, but, um, thank God I didn't go to Africa with him for 30 days. Cause I don't know that I could have made that. I mean, I had a really hard time staying the four days that I stayed with him up through Easter Sunday. Um, I mean, it took everything I had not to leave. I had to call my wife multiple times, be like, should I stay? And she's like, I mean, you, you gotta follow your gut. But my gut told me that I'm a man of my word and I agreed to be there. So I was going to stay there no matter how bad he taught, you know, treated me. Um, I mean, he treated me so poorly that he sat me down in front of his clients and made me watch uh, two television shows so he could so he could look at me and say, that's how someone produces a show and then walk out the room <laughs> because he he felt like I wasn't doing a good job of producing. But again, it was because he wasn't talking to me. This <laughs> is crazy, man. Guy was crazy. He was insane. Um, but again, I, I didn't want to say his name on the podcast because that's not um, something I, I really want to do. I don't feel like that's uh, ethical on my part. But I just will say that was a terrible experience and I now know why he was looking for someone else and I don't know who works for him now. I don't even have outdoor TV so I couldn't tell you if his show is even still around. But if it is and you're working for him and you're listening to this podcast... I'm good, good luck. And you're a better man than me. Cause I can't, <laughs> I can't do that. Anyway, that is the conclusion of the worst client I ever had. If you ever had a bad client experience, if so, go to the filming with Josh Facebook group, create a post and let me know. I'm really interested to know what kind of client experiences you've had. And, uh, hopefully they weren't this bad. I have, I have friends that have had worse experiences than this. Um, So I guess in some ways, I'm fortunate that my experience wasn't worse, but I'm interested to know what some of your client experiences are. Have you ever even had a bad client experience? Has all your experience has been positive? Let me know. Go to Filming with Josh on Facebook and let's have a conversation there. I'll see you then. To learn more about Rustic River Media, visit us online at rusticriver.media. Thanks for listening to the Filming with Josh podcast. Catch every episode by hitting subscribe today.